Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning, whether you're watching online or, or in person. I'm going to ask you in just a second to open the, your Bibles up to First Chronicles. Uh, what you've, if you're a guest, if you're watching, you've caught us in between series. Normally we pick books of the Bible, we work through them. Um, we've just, uh, as a church, decided to renovate our uh, worship space. We're going to be moving our worship space over to the other side of the building after we renovate that space, and we followed a certain way that we handled that as we presented it to the church and as we gave. We'll talk more about that at the end of the service. But I wanted to take a couple weeks just to show you biblically why we followed the pattern we did. But before we do that, I want you to all turn in your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter in chapter 5. This is um, just me, you and me, and you letting me be your pastor. Um, and please listen to what Scripture says here. Because anytime God is working, the devil is working. Okay, so listen to God's word this morning. I want to call us to this and then we'll go to the, our core text. This is the verse the Lord put in my mind this morning as I work through the passage, and I cannot not read it to us. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, as God is working among us, let us be aware. There's no greater way for us to resist the evil one than worship. Individually, and corporately, and so we have gathered here today, not only to worship God, but to resist together. And so with that in mind, let's turn to First Chronicles in chapter 29. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We will explain the context. Matter of fact, half of the sermon is a context this morning. But let's just read our verses. We're going to look this week in chapter 29, beginning at Verse 1 and read down to verse 9. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, and the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx stones for settings, antinomy, colored stones of all sorts, precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of the Lord God, I give it to the house of my God, 3,000 talents of gold and the gold of Ophir and seven talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. 
Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the Father's house made their freewill offerings, and did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers of the, over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Zahil the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with the whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. This is the word of God. And so God, as we have heard of this story in the past, this time in David's life, and time in the people of Israel's life. And the time that's leading to the time in Solomon's life. God help us to understand that everything that we do is informed by your word. Either you describe things like this that gives us principles that we can follow. Or you prescribe commands that we must follow. Either one, Lord. We don't want to miss what you have for us today. So talk to your people. Convict us. Comfort us. Inform us. Give us resolves. Make us daring and risky because we are part of this great kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we move forward in, in renovating our space, it is important, whether you've been here a long time or whether you're new, to always remind ourselves of our purpose. We have a purpose here. It is a biblical-informed purpose can see our purpose hopefully everywhere whether you see it on the wall outside or you see it on our website the purpose of battleground community church is to glorify god but how are we going to glorify god we will glorify god through christ exalting worship we will also glorify god through biblical community and we will glorify god by going with the gospel to all peoples we are informed by that, by God's word. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 67 and verse 4 said, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the people, guide the nations upon earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. John Piper puts it like this. I believe the quote is in our overhead. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. He goes on to say in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, that, that missions is temporary. But worship is eternal. And so for the next two weeks, it's sort of our point. We've been pretty intense in James for a while, and James was an intense brother who leaned into our lives in all kind of ways. And now we just want to take a couple weeks to breathe and to worship our God. <laughs> That's the point. That's the whole point next week as we gather together. God has already moved us toward generosity in all kinds of sacrificial ways. And so we want to thank Him. Especially today, if you are sad or broken or depressed or worried, you might be in a low or you might be in a high. Either way, worship is crucial. Why? Why is worship so important to me, to you? I want you to see this today in the text. That's why we chose this text. 
because as we worship, we experience God's grace-filled provision. And here's what this looks like. I want you to see this in the flow of the text today. Worship pricks, it spurs, it stimulates our devotion. Devotion fuels our, fuels our generosity. Generosity intensifies our joy, and joy brings more worship. So there's worship on both ends of this thing in the Christian life. And so worship pricks our devotion. Devotion fuels our generosity. Generosity intensifies our joy, and joy simply brings more worship. I want you to see this in David's life. It's in your life. This is the way it works. That right there that I have just given you is the recipe of how you fight in your own times of depression or worry. Worship is the Christian's secret weapon. And if we forget it, we forget it to our peril. David understood this. (laughs) David was not a perfect man, but he understood worship. When worship is the goal, generosity is the result. I want you to see this is our main idea. The desire for authentic worship resulted in extravagant generosity. The leaders make plans. Listen. So this is our context. So I'm going to invite you to put, if you've got a little tassel or something in your Bible or some way to mark it, I want you to mark Chronicles, First Chronicles. I want you to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 because a text without a context is dangerous. And so let's understand what led up to the passage that we just read. You see, leaders can make plans, but it's God's decision. David had a plan. So if you've got 2 Samuel 7, look at verse 1. This is the, a mature David. Mature in all kinds of ways. It says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So this is the context that led to the desire of David to build a tabernacle, uh, what he called a house for the Lord. David had entered into a season of rest. His enemies around him had been defeated. His kingdom had been established. And he knew this was all because of God. David never thought it was just it was him doing this. Listen to Psalms 118, verse 5. It says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. And this is a passage that says that's exactly what God did. God brought victory to David on every side. And so he had experienced rest. And this was what was eating on him. I am sitting here in this amazing house myself. And God's house is still sitting over there in a tent made of animal skin. And I'm not okay with that. I want to do something. This was about, listen, from the word go, this was always about worship. This was what was David's heart. This was what was in David's plan. Listen to this. I love this passage. Psalms 27 verse 4. We read it a couple weeks ago. 
One thing, and this is a psalm of David, by the way. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This was David's desire. He wanted, listen, two things. A place of rest for God and a house of worship for his people. That's what he wanted. He, we did not simply say God is with us in the coming of Christ. He understood that God was with him there. Psalms 117, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That was the whole psalm. And so, Nathan was there when he said this. And Nathan said, man, go to it, brother. God's with you. It's awesome. He goes back. Nathan goes back to his house. And then, but God comes into the picture. So God talks to Nathan. And Nathan heads back. And God gives David a. An amazing, it's a very comforting correction. He corrects him. But man, if you're going to be corrected by God, this is a good one. So look at verse 8. Still in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to accent what I want you to notice. I took you. From the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. Verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Verse 10. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that. So that they may dwell in their own land and be disturbed no more. Look down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. And your throne shall be established forever. The message was clear, isn't it? I chose you. And I have always been with you. And listen, I am not done. I am not done. We must grab this this morning. However you feel, however hard life is, however hopeless times that you might be experienced, the Lord has declared, I am with you, I have always been with you, and I'm not done with you. That's a place for an amen. If we feel that hopeless, this is good news. This is good news whether you're at the bottom or whether you're at the top. This is what he told, but God had a different plan. So David said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to build it. God says, hold on a second. I'm going to build a house for my name. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means when you die, I will raise up an offspring after you and shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish his throne for, and king, of his kingdom forever. Verse 14. And I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. Whenever he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. With the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul. 
whom I put away from before you. You see, the king makes his plans, but it's God's decision. It's God's decision. We make our plans to the best of our abilities. And so did David. David, there was nothing wrong with what David desired to do. It simply, listen, it wasn't his part in the kingdom plan. God gets to choose what your part is in his kingdom plan. You don't. And that is a good news for you. Not bad news. If you think that is bad news, you have not yet tasted the bottom to know that it is good that God is sovereign. God's plans, you see, here's the point, are always greater than ours. And the truth is too, they're not only greater, he don't tell us. He don't tell us what they are sometimes. David understood a little bit of it here, but just about that much of it, as we'll see as the sermon unfolds. He wanted a place for... Rest for God. God says, I'm not going to rest until I'm done. Second Peter 3.13 says, According to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And not till we get to that point will God rest. Since we messed it up in the garden, God has got up in His working. And He is not done. He is not done in this world. And He is not done with you. This is the message God's plan, you see, was the church. God's plan. Just listen to these verses this morning. We are individually the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Individually, we are God's temple. This is the big picture. This was the plan of God that David had no point of reference for. Not only individually are we God's temple, collectively we are God's church. Ephesians 2.18 says this. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible. For through Jesus Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And without Jesus Christ, we have no access. Look at what verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, look at the building metaphor. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, this was the bigger plan. And David was going to play his part. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, we are the temple of God, so we must live like it. This was God's plan. The living, breathing church of God. This is foundational, so, you see. This is the context to understand now as we flip to First Chronicles. The context was that David had a plan. But God had a better plan, an eternal plan. Here was the quest, here's the question. How's David going to respond to this? David is the one who fought all the enemies down. 
on every side. David said that he was going to build the temple, and God says, no. Is he going to be a Saul and say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do? How's he going to respond? And so we come into this text. We see not only these leaders giving, but the people following. This comes from when we open up this passage, we open up this text, and we look at verses 1 and 2. We see David has a transformed desire. David has already moved from, I will build the temple, to Solomon will build the temple. What made that change? God had told him his plan. And so he was transformed. He was conformed. He said, this is God's plan. This is what we're going to do. And so when he starts in 1 Chronicles 29, that's why you're reading what you're reading. And David said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom God has chosen, is going to do this. So the king, little K king, is going to obey the big K king. By the way, that's how you identify a good leader. The king said, Solomon is going to build it. And we're going to all support it. And I'm the first one in line. This is the principle. I didn't bring one of those pledge cards with me, but the first pledge card in the bucket was mine. I'm not a king. I'm just the pastor. But this is the principle. When God tells us something to do, the leadership are the first one that sets the pace. This is the principle we learn from David here. David teaches us more than just, I'm going to be the first. He teaches us this. Our finances always follow our heart. This is an absolute principle. We can say it this way. We give to what we love. We spend time on what we treasure. And so he writes in verse 2. You see this where he says, I give all that I was able. Now that's a little bit different than maybe what you're thinking. He's not really speaking to abilities there. What, that's, what, what he's actually saying here, here is the total amount that I'm going to give. And then he lists it. We're not going to get into all of what that was. But it was extravagant offering that pours first out of the king. Notice what he says. Look at verse 3. It's important. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. He's saying this is coming from out of my own bank account. And I am giving it. So please, don't, let's not get philosophical. We're going to give it somehow to the Lord in some kind of mystical way. You know that you are following the Lord because you gave it. He gave it to the house of the Lord. Do you see it? He did not break out his devotion to God with his devotion to the work of God. If you have devotion to God, you have devotion to the work of God. If you do not devote yourself to the work of God, you are not devoted to God. It's just what he teaches us. What does that mean, devotion? I love it. It's such a simple word. It means to delight in it. It means to take pleasure in something. That's what that word means. He says, I do it because I'm not only taking pleasure in God, I'm taking pleasure in His plan. David was not some begrudgingly submissive person who sitting there going, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it because, you know, He's God and I'm not. What can I do? 
you know. It'd been better if I'd done it. I mean, that little squirt don't know what he's doing. He can't even nail a nail straight. And God told him to build the temple. I've been building stuff all my life. Wasn't David. This is God's plan. This is the best plan. And I'm going to show you how I feel about it because I am going to be the first one to write the check. And we're going to do it. How much pleasure do you get from doing God's plan? You say, what is His plan? He, he gave it to us when He left. He said, the purpose of your life is to help other people follow Jesus. That's the purpose of your life. Your job is not your purpose. Your job is a means to your purpose. So quit begrudgingly doing it. Because you've got a purpose just like David. And you don't get to pick it. God did. Psalms 112 points us to Jesus as our example. Psalms 112 and verse 7 says this. He is not afraid of bad news. Right? We've all had bad news. Why? His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph over his adversaries. Verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Hold that thought of that passage because we hear it again in the New Testament. just want you to notice his heart is firm and trusting. In other words, he is devoted. Therefore, he distributes freely. From devotion comes generosity. Notice the king's extravagant offering. You can just read it from verses 2 to verses 5. We're not going to get into all of it. I do want you to hold your place in Chronicles and flip over to 2 Corinthians. It's probably one of the clearest passages. It teaches us some common principles. And I know most of us, including myself, has been, had tithing beat upon us. <laughs> Even we had little envelopes with little check boxes that we had to check. And if we checked it, you know, God was happy with us. If we didn't check them all, we, you know, bam, I'm going to have a bad week. I'm going to stub my toe or something on the way to work. I want you to see, through the old to the new, it's always generosity. Generosity is the point. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, now listen, listen to the heart issues here. Each one must give as he decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Why not? God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So goes Christ. So goes His people. Our giving reflects our devotion. If worship is the goal, and devotion is our motivation... Joy-filled generosity is the result. I don't have to beat you over the head with tithing. Matter of fact, this is probably one of the only times you're ever going to hear me even say it. 
Our worship is the goal. Our devotion is the motivation. If that's true, then what comes out of us is generosity because it increases our joy. And if it's not true, if that's not true, please keep it in your pocket. For giving it will just bring judgment. Worship, devotion, generosity from the old to the new. This is the pattern. And this is what we follow. This is what the king followed. This was all about worship for David. Just listen in 2 Corinthians 6. Paul goes on in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched every way to be generous in every way. What is the result? Which which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. More worship. This is why we preach here that we send you out every week. Why? Because Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that your life is a living worship. Not simply what you are doing in this hour. What you are doing together when you leave. How you work and how you live and how you love. That's why we started with sitting there going, you need to put your head on a swivel because when God's working in your life, all of a sudden, people that's not getting on your nerves will start getting on your nerves. Things that never bothered you before start bothering you. You're sitting there going, what's changed? You're sitting there going, the devil's using the own temptations of your own flesh. You need to pay attention because worship is the issue. The king worshiped. How do we know? He gave generously out of his devotion. And notice the king's challenge at the end of verse 5. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating, consecrating himself today to the Lord? He's simply saying this, follow my example in every way. Worship, devotion, generosity. It's generosity is simply the fruit of the devotion. You can't get there without being devoted. What do we see happening? The leaders modeling and the people following. So the king gave. He challenged the leaders to give. And here's what we see in verse 6. First Chronicles 29, verse 6. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their freewill offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and hundreds and the officers of the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of the Lord. And then we see this extravagant offering. The same pattern. What David said, David gave extravagantly. Then the leaders saw it. What did they do? The leaders followed and gave extravagantly. The principle is clear. Leaders lead. Leaders lead. Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Let no one despise your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Leaders lead by setting the example. Peter said that Christ was our example. 1 Peter 2, 20. But when you do good and suffer for it, endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, but Christ, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that follow in his steps. 
leaders lead, God's people are called to follow. And what they do is not simply begrudgingly follow. They follow with joy. They follow gladly. How do we know? Because not only did the king give, and not only did the leaders give, the people also joined in too. Verse 9, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with the whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. This was working itself up to what we're going to have next week, which is just a, a prayer and worship service. This is not the first time this happens in the Bible. This has already happened when they built the tabernacle. You remember what Moses said, Exodus 35 and verse 4? Listen to this common language. This is the common, common theme you see in the Bible. That's why we follow it. Ephesians 35 verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from you a contribution to the Lord. To whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord, had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Do you see? It's the same pattern. The same pattern from Exodus to Chronicles to Corinthians to this, our renovation plans. We approach it the same way. If it's God's plan, we're going to do it. And if it's His plans, He'll provide through His people. So what today? Am I willing to conform my life to His plan? His plans can be rather scary. It's seldom comfortable, and the fact that you can't do it is exactly the point. Isaiah 55 said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, verse 8, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than, than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What we've got to understand sometimes is that we push on people for a change of behavior. We want them to, to give more, or to work more, or to behave better. The issue has always their worship. You got trouble in your marriage? Look at your worship. You got trouble in your workplace? Look at your worship first and quit blaming your boss. Because if we do not start our day in worship individually... Our worship collectively will tell the tale. When we worship individually and we come here, our cups are already full. And all Micah has to do is strum that thing and we overflow. It's about worship. Worship drives your mission. Worship drives everything else significant in your life. It is what you can do first to deal with the problems you are having in your life. Get your worship right. Trust the Lord with the rest. Helping other people follow Jesus is why we are here. As individually and as the collective church. Helping people follow Jesus in your home to the Muslim on the other side of the world that might well kill us for taking the gospel to him. These and everybody in between. Leaving no person out. Nobody has a light on them. We just take the gospel to them. This is our purpose. 
Your purpose in life, children and young people, is not to go to college to make a lot of money to be successful. The Bible calls that futility. It says that is the wasted life. He is not calling you to a rich life. He is calling you to a devoted life. A devoted life is a rich life. Here's my question. What things are you trusting the God for that He's going to have to do or it's never going to happen? Do you have those things? Are you always playing it safe? I was looking it up. In 1752, a Quaker, it's a Christian, named Dr. Thomas Bond, looked around at the poor and sick in Philadelphia and pitched a dream for the first hospital. After getting his friend, Benjamin Franklin's support, politics, his dream became a reality. And when it became a reality, to illustrate the purpose of this first hospital, it was infixed on the seal, this, see if you recognize it. Take care of him, and I will repay thee. That was on their seal, the first hospital. Anybody remember where that comes from? The story of the Good Samaritan. That was the purpose. That this man looked around in a world of broken and sickness and said, I'm not just going to stand here and not do something. And so he engaged in something that in their day and time was just a novelty. And now, the other day when we had our own little tragedy and somebody in the family went down, I can pick the phone up, call 911, and caring people show up at my house and take my precious family member to a hospital where other precious people can bring them back to health. You see, have you even noticed the single moms in town? Have you noticed the homeless? The abused, the addicted. We must stop waiting for the church to come up with something programmed to fix it. We are the temples of God. What can we do? What is He calling us to do? You have one life, brothers and sisters. And you need to use it. And we need not to waste it. When you pray... How big is your prayers? You too scared to pray for healing? You too scared to pray for a homeless mission in Kings Mountain because the politics don't want it here? How big is your prayers? You can ask our brothers. I scare them to death with the visions that I have. Just not visions like I see little horses running around. Plans. What I want to do. I got one life. I see it. What are we going to do about it? Your prayers shouldn't always be about yourself. They should be about things that you want to see in God's kingdom happen. And you're saying, here am I, God. Send me. Dream kingdom large. Why? Why? Because here's the truth. I hope you've seen it. God's extravagant supply almost always comes through very ordinary means. You feel sort of ordinary? Good. You're the person God uses. This is the story. Deuteronomy 7, just listen. 
This is God's people. This is what he said to them. It is not because you were more in number than any other that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And he is keeping his oath. He swore to the fathers that the Lord had brought upon you with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery out of Egypt. It's not because you were great, Israel. It was because you were few. The reason I chose you was because I love you. That's a pretty good reason. This is the story of this book. The man that we have just got through reading about in Chronicles was the weakest brother in Jesse's family. When Samuel came to anoint the king, he wasn't even in the room. He was the least. He was the youngest. He was the dude out there taking care of the sheep. But he was the seed. He was the one that got chosen. The seed, you see, capital S, is the point of the Bible. When man broke it in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, God looked at Eve and said, Through your seed, I'm going to fix this problem one day. And then what did God do? God chose an idol-worshiping pagan named Abraham. And he said, I am going to give you a son, though you cannot have a son. You will have one through my sovereign hand. And he will carry the seed. And then one day Samuel came and knocking on Jesse's door and said, none of these big boys is it. So well, I got a little piddly, piddly youngest son. He's out there taking care of the sheep. He said, go get him. He was the seed. And in the fullness of time, God chose a little young single girl from a poor family. He said, you will bring the seed. This is why Matthew says, begins the book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is why Paul tells us in Galatians this about Abraham. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ was the point. Man broke it in Genesis. He promised that he would come through the seed. And he's been choosing weak and ordinary means to bring the gospel to us ever since. It is why you were saved and it is why you were here. You are the gospel conduits to bring the person and work of Jesus Christ into the life of people that he has already put you around. You are the temple of God and you are called to go out and be that temple wherever you go. And so what he's telling you today is take up your calling and do your part. Good news today. You're alive. Right? Everybody alive here? This is what God's Word says. Psalms 118. I just love the New Living Translation here. It's far easier to grab hold of the point here. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. Amen. Listen, there's not one of you standing here that ain't blew it in your life one time or another. 
I can give up a testimony. I have blown it with my children. I've blown it with my wife. And she has blown it with me. And I have blown it with you. And if I haven't, just give me a little bit of time. (laughs) This is the story. This is your story. We meet people on the street that are broken, that are fallen in sin. They are just going through the same things that we've all gone through. But they are not dead yet. And so there are hope. And so let us do what God has told us to do. Let us pray on our knees. Let us labor with our hands. For after they prayed, and God provided, and after they celebrated, they picked up their hammers and their nails, and they built the temple. So let's rejoice, and let's get ready for the work that God has laid before us. Let's pray. And so, God, we have heard from your wonderful word today. And Lord, I am sure that many of us, if there was parts of the message and out of your word, some parts have grabbed us more than others. Lord, whatever part of that the Holy Spirit has grabbed the hearts of the people that are sitting here today, Lord, would, would you move them to action? Lord, you've told us all. You call us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, long for us to be temples of God to reflect your glory into this broken world and so Lord someone does not know you here I pray right where they stand whether they're at home or whether they're here sitting here they would simply repent confess that they are a sinner in need of a savior And call on Jesus Christ who is mighty to save. And join us in the work. So God, we ask you to be exalted now. For these songs are our resolve. They're our challenge to each other. They're our worship to you. And as we sing and as we repent and ask you as our Father to forgive your children of their sins then we long to come to the table. We come to the table precisely because we are your children, because you told us to. You told us to never forget Jesus, His person, His work. Never forget the work that He is doing in us. Never forget that He is coming again. And so, Lord, this we do every week as a reminder that you love us so much that you gave your Son shed his blood to give his body as a living sacrifice to bring us to God and none of us dare leave unless we worship you for that truth so receive our worship God allow us to make much of you with our limited capacities with all we have with our money as we bring our offering with our worship as we come to the tables, with our voices as we declare who you are. Be worshiped today in Jesus' name. Amen.